This is inevitable when checks and balances are eliminated in any country uh, and virtually all important institutions are centralized under one authority, civil liberties become a casualty. Venezuela has been no exception. Uh, two years ago, Chavez shut down RCTV, then the country's most important uh, television station broadcasting over public airwaves, something that led to the successful student movement to oppose Chavez's referendum that would uh, have turned Venezuela into a socialist state. Since then, there have been other violations of civil and other liberties. In recent months, uh, beginning at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, Chavez has become more radical, nationalizing enterprises, marginalizing opposition figures through the use of uh, state funds and other measures, and using increasingly belligerent rhetoric against opponents, both domestic and uh, foreign. This has all happened as the price of oil and uh, domestic social and economic indicators have deteriorated, and as the popularity of opposition political figures has increased, some of them even gaining uh, elected office in uh, important positions. More recently, the government announced that it would be shutting down 240 radio stations. Most importantly is uh, Chavez's promise to shut down Globovision Television, the country's only remaining independent television station broadcasting on public airwaves. All of this is to counter what the government calls media terrorism, something otherwise known in the civilized world as freedom of the press. Cato originally invited the president of Globovision, Guillermo Zuluaga, uh, to speak here today, uh, an invitation that he generously accepted. Unfortunately, after Cato announced that he would be speaking here, a Venezuelan court uh, prohibited him from leaving his country in a decision that uh, turned out to be a politically determined decision. I'm pleased, however, to have uh, with us today the vice president of Globovision, Carlos Zuluaga, uh, and he will present a series of short videos especially prepared by Globovision for this policy forum. Before I introduce him, uh, however, let me personally testify to the critical role that Globovision plays in a country that can no longer be called a democracy. Globovision is the place uh, where Venezuelans go to find out what's really going on in their country and to get viewpoints that are different from those uh, expounded by the government's five propaganda television uh, stations. It's also the place that Venezuelans go to report abuses of power by the government. And I can testify personally about that uh, based on a visit that uh, we made to Venezuela in late May, where the Cato Institute had organized a seminar of the kind that uh, Cato has been doing in the United States for many years and around the world uh, for young Venezuelan students and uh, leaders on classical liberalism, history, uh, economics, and so on. Uh, Cato held a three-day seminar outside of Caracas, and the government uh, began uh, its harassment of the event weeks before we began by claiming that we were setting up a training camp of, uh, for subversive tactics to overthrow the Chavez regime. Uh, as the event began, 
the National Guard, the, uh, an official from the Ministry of Education, and state television showed up to shut the, the event down. Uh, they were clearly trying to provoke us, uh, and it was a very tense several uh, hours as they were trying to uh, lay bogus claims uh, about what we were doing there. Uh, eventually, they left. But one of the first things that we did was call Globovision Television and report what was going on, and they immediately started reporting that. And indeed, this is something that uh, 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 people in Venezuela uh, have to resort to in a country uh, where arbitrary use of power uh, has become so common. And I think that the fact that Globovision started reporting it and then it was starting to be reported by news outlets in Latin America is one of the reasons that uh, eventually uh, we came to an agreement that the government uh, would let us continue our event. Uh, later that same day, one of our speakers who was coming into the airport, Alvaro Vargas Llosa, the Peruvian intellectual, was detained uh, at the airport. And again, Globovision started reporting that, and that uh, became international news, putting more pressure on the government to finally release him after three hours on the condition that he wouldn't speak about political issues. Uh, that didn't stop him from speaking uh, his mind once he got uh, into the country. Nevertheless, it gives you a taste of what uh, uh, people in Venezuela have been living uh, with. So it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Carlos Zuluaga, who is the executive vice president and the chief operating officer of Globovision Television, where he has been working for several years in, in dis, uh, various positions. Uh, before joining Globovision, he spent several years at AOL Time Warner. And uh, before he speaks, I'm going to ask our, uh, our backroom guy to put the screen down because the president of Globovision, Guillermo Zuluaga, has prepared a short statement uh, for this policy forum, and let's watch that first and then hear uh, from Carlos. I am Vasquez, Director for the Center for Global Liberty and Prosperity. And all the directors of Cato Institute here present, ladies and gentlemen, my thanks and gratitude for inviting me to this forum and the opportunity to speak to such distinguished guests. Unfortunately, the reason why I was invited and theme of the presentation you are going to see are not happy ones. They refer to the loss of liberties, loss of the right to private property, and especially the loss of freedom of expression in my country, Venezuela. <laughs> Due to manipulation of our legal system and due to the fact that I have been accused of presumed acts against the community for legally selling cars through one of our distributors, I have been served with measures that forbid me from traveling outside Venezuela. These measures have the purpose of trying to intimidate me and soften the reality shown on Global Vision Program. This is called in Venezuela terrorismo judicial, which is the government using the legal system to terrorize citizens. This must be very hard for you to understand, because you don't know what it is to live in a country where the rule of law is very precarious and the courts of law and judges are pressured 
and manipulate it to decide what the executive branch wants. I really hope you will never have to experience something like this. I was hoping to obtain a legal permit to travel to this forum. It was denied last Monday. But we will not disappoint you. Here are Rafael Alfonso, President of CEDICE, which, in my opinion, is the Venezuelan organization that best represents what Cato Institute is. CEDICE is the Venezuelan think tank that defends and promotes democracy, free enterprise, and liberal government. And Mr. Alfonso is the best and more knowledgeable representative of this factor. My presentation will be done by my son, Carlos Uruguay, who was chief operating officer of Revolución, has had to experience the constant attack on freedom of speech that we have to go through on an almost permanent basis. Thank you again for this opportunity, and I look forward to the opportunity when I can visit Cato Institute personally. With you, my son, Carlos. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. I would like to first thank Ian Vasquez, Director of Center of Global Liberty and Prosperity of the Cato Institute, for the invitation and the great introduction to the, to the topic. Thank you to all the rest of the directors and members of Cato, ladies and gentlemen. Some of you have, might have been surprised with the sudden change of speakers on today's presentation. But what you just saw in my father's message is the best evidence of the actual state of freedom of speech in Venezuela and the current situation the independent media faces at this moment. I would like to thank all of you present today for the interest and for your time while attending this event. For us in Venezuela and for all the people that works in media, your opinions, your thoughts, and your actions are very important. My presentation today will include several videos that will clearly illustrate the attacks and the hostile environment that we face every day in our country. Let's begin with the first video, please. <clears throat> Venezuela donde funciona plenamente una amplia y profunda democracia. Una infinita libertad de expresión. 
te pudiera decir en una televisión por vida, fallida, antidemocrática, racista, que practica valores del fascismo internacional. Me tiraron en el suelo, me patearon la cabeza, me patearon el cuerpo. There's no doubt about it. Freedom of speech in Venezuela is under serious threat. Scenes like you have just witnessed have prompted stern rulings by the Inter-American Human Rights Court. The highest legal authority on human rights in the Western Hemisphere has ruled, with no right to appeal, that the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela is responsible for violating the right of freedom of speech and the physical integrity of Globovision employees as per the American Convention of Human Rights. As you can see, the court based its decision on the verbal violence and intimidating statements expressed by senior government officials against Globovision, as well as the physical and emotional harm suffered by our employees while under journalistic assignments. The court also considered the government's failure to investigate and sanction the offenders and determined that for the employees of Globovision, and I quote, The set of proven facts constituted ways to restrict, obstruct, and intimidate the practice of journalism. End quote. 
Furthermore, the court ruled that this intimidation was, and again I quote, expressed in attacks or risk situations for their personal integrity, which in the context of the statements given by high-ranking public officials and the failure of state authorities to comply with the duty of due diligence in the conduct of the investigation constituted a failure of the state's obligation to prevent and investigate the facts. The Inter-American Human Rights Court ruling is unequivocal in its finding that the Bolivarian Republic of Venezuela is internationally responsible for its actions. Among the compensatory measures to be taken by the Venezuelan state, the court says, and I quote, this judgment in itself is a form of redress. The state must adopt all the measures necessary to prevent the undue restrictions or direct or indirect impediments to the exercise of the freedom to seek, receive, and impart information of the people defined as victims in this case. The state must effectively and within reasonable term conduct the investigations and necessary criminal proceedings is still in process at the domestic level and all future investigations or proceedings in order to determine the corresponding responsibilities for the facts of the case at hand and apply the appropriate, appropriate legal provisions. The state shall publish at least once in the official gazette and in another newspaper of white national circulation this judgment without the corresponding footnotes and the operative paragraph therein in the term of six months and from the notice of this judgment. To this day, the government has failed to comply with every single one of these rulings. On the contrary, the government has openly flouted the rulings by coercing media outlets to censure themselves, muscling their editorial line and criminalizing the press and the media in general. Globovision is the only over-the-air broadcast television station operating in Venezuela, which maintains an independent and critical editorial posture. Radio Caracas Televisión, Channel 2, Venezuela's oldest and most popular television station, was forced off the air two years ago. Today, Globovision is under close scrutiny by the government. Why, you might ask. What is Globovision? Let me show you in the next video. Video 2, please. Four-hour television news station, which is the first and only all-news broadcast channel in Venezuela and the world. We believe in democracy. We believe in the freedom of speech as a fundamental human right, as established in constitutions and international conventions. This consists in the right of every human being to seek, receive, and spread information, ideas, and opinions of any nature without prior censure, despite any limitations that may be imposed on it. For this reason, we exercise with conviction a critical, responsible, and independent journalism, which makes us an authentic, credible source for all that happens in Venezuela. But precisely due to this autonomy, we've also become the target for attacks from the government, which in recent years has become extremely sensitive to criticism. broadcast signal can be seen for free in only two of the most important cities throughout the country. 
which translates into a mere 40% of Venezuela's viewership, due to the fact that in recent years the government has been unresponsive to all our requests to extend our range of coverage. In contrast, television stations which came on the air 10 years after we did, but have a clearly pro-government editorial stance, already have virtually national coverage, despite the fact that according to the law, permits must be granted on a first-come, first-served basis, depending on the date the application is received. Despite this government-imposed limitation, Globovision's programming is seen across the whole country via cable and satellite. Our successful and responsible work has reached beyond our borders. Globovision is seen in Peru, Colombia, Chile, Puerto Rico, Argentina, and Uruguay. The TV Venezuela channel rebroadcasts Globovision's programming to all of the United States, and it's also seen in Portugal, the Canary Islands, and Spain. This is clear evidence of Globovision's credibility as a source for news and information, not only in Venezuela, but also internationally, where important news networks such as CNN in Spanish, BBC, and RCN, among others, carry our signal. But the state policy of harassment and intimidation that seeks to restrict free speech is also made evident through restrictive laws. New taxes that on top of those that everybody pays already are being applied to the media. Fines, warrants and searches, judiciary investigations to the press, TV stations, journalists, and high-ranking employees have resulted in indictments. The media is submitted to discriminatory treatment regarding permits, official applications and authorizations, and official advertisements. Lately, there are threats of limiting even more the coverage of TV stations. The government has proposed new technical norms on national audiovisual production services, which are being put into effect to regulate the content of cable channels. Parallel to these actions, 240 radio concessions have been revoked and the general attorney is asking for a law to punish crimes of opinion, so as to be able to act not only through administrative means, but also through the criminal courts against personnel and employees of the media. I would like to point out that, as we are here today, the attorney general is presenting this law to, the, to Congress. And for the little uh, text that we got, it seems very dangerous because it's too vague. And all the crimes that are um, typified in this law, the sanction is, is prison. The least sentence is six months, and the highest sentence is four years. I'll give you an example. Any person who gives out information that is considered false, manipulated, and that it goes against the interests of the, of the state or the public morale could spend up to four years behind bars. To give you an example, last week we got a news from Colombia, which uh, said that they find they found in in La Farc in La Guerrilla, they found weapons that had been sold to the Venezuelan government by the Swedish. If we air that news and the government says that that's false, we could be sent to jail for four years for airing only that news. So that's how dangerous this new law is. In this context, the media carry out their activities 
while everything points towards a greater distribution of newspapers, radios, and TV stations in the hands of so-called community groups, which enjoy state support and are guided ideologically by the revolution. The government's actions against Globovision and the possibility of taking it off the air are increasing. Let's see how, what, how, that hap how that is happening in this next video, please. Video three, please. In recent years, Global Vision has been the object of dozens of criminal investigations, administrative sanctions, and lawsuits by the Venezuelan government. During the last nine months, government officials have filed in and out of Global Vision's offices without due cause in vain attempts to find a pretext for levying sanctions on our station, measures which could trigger the revocation of our broadcast license and put us off the air. In the last nine months, Global Vision has been the object of five different so-called administrative procedures for supposedly airing messages which, quote, justify or encourage acts of war or contributing to a breach of public order, unquote. The supposed facts used to support these allegations were based on statements made by guests interviewed on news or talk programs, not by Global Vision's journalists or employees. In one well-publicized case, the government opened an inquiry with the intent of imposing administrative sanctions because Globovision, the only 24-hour news station in the country, was the first to inform its viewers of a series of early morning earthquakes that were occurring across the country. If Globovision were sanctioned, its broadcasts would be suspended for 72 continuous hours, and in the case of a second infraction, the revocation of our license would be final. But these five visits from Venezuela's telecommunications regulatory agency were not the only ones. Government officials of the National Tax Authority, the CENIAT, made a visit to notify Global Vision of a fine amounting to almost $2 million for having granted airtime to NGOs to broadcast public service announcements. Venezuelan society reacted spontaneously to this development and made a public fundraising appeal to help pay the fine. It's significant to note that in the wake of this widespread public support, as the funds were being raised, the government raised the fine to over $4 million. Since Global Vision has always respected the law, it paid off the fine under protest aided by the contributions of more than 400,000 families. Other fines and sanctions seeking to strangle Global Vision financially have been executed during this year. In May of 2009, Global Vision was declared subject to a special tax of $1 million. In this most astonishing development, the tax was levied despite the fact that in a specific clause of the applicable legislation, it is stipulated, quote, that companies that provide broadcast television services that are exclusively informative, musical, or sports, unquote, are exempt from the tax. This is precisely Global Vision's situation, as it would be for CNN or BBC if they were to be broadcasting in Venezuela. This year, the Supreme Court ruled against Global Vision on three cases that for years had been in a sort of judicial limbo. It permanently impounded microwave transmission equipment, which had been confiscated from Global Vision in 2004, and also required it to pay a fine of the equivalent of close to $250,000,
for the allegedly illegal use of certain frequencies utilized in live broadcasts. This same Supreme Court has recently made available to other television stations the very same broadcast frequencies which have been reserved for Global Vision, thereby effectively restraining us from expanding our coverage throughout the country. Global Vision's chief executive officer, who should have been here today speaking at this gathering, has been a victim of a sort of judicial terrorism which affects all those who are connected with Benini in Venezuela. His home has been raided twice, illegally. He was subsequently charged with criminal offenses, as was his defense attorney. A judge subsequently issued orders barring him from leaving the country, and did so without fulfilling the prior requirement to establish whether or not he was a flight risk. This is clearly illegal. Just last week, the judge admitted publicly that she had done so under pressure from a superior. Pero esa decisión no estaba firmada. El, el problema es el acoso de la doctora Vélez y Blanco. Inclusive, yo temo por mi vida. Ella tiene seis, seis eh, guardaespaldas que hacen lo que ella dice. Within the context of all these intimidating procedures, Global Vision employees have been summoned to the Attorney General's office to provide sworn testimony in criminal cases, all of which is clearly aimed at coercing reporters and other media professionals into self-censorship. In a greater context, the government is simply trying to prove that Global Vision has committed crimes and thus revoke its concession, taking it permanently off the air. Global Vision simply transmits information and it's being fined, sanctioned with administrative procedures that could turn into criminal charges for merely broadcasting public service announcements from NGOs, for transmitting verbatim the words spoken by a democratically elected governor, for informing viewers about an earthquake in Caracas before the government did, and for interviewing a journalist on a talk show. The restrictions applied to Global Vision and the media in general are based on laws that violate both our Constitution and international treaties. For example, the Ley Resorte, the law governing what the media can and cannot do, enshrines the practice of censorship. The state can prohibit outright the transmission of certain television programs. The law also requires radio and television stations to broadcast 10 free minutes per day of official propaganda in prime time. En Venezuela, el gobierno bolivariano liderado por el comandante Hugo Chávez continúa dando muestras contundentes de avance y progreso. Bueno, Chávez, yo te bendigo en el nombre del Padre y del Hijo y del Espíritu Santo. Sira es Venezuela, Venezuela de verdad. In addition, whenever the government so desires, it can and does interrupt at a moment's notice all broadcast television and radio station programming throughout the country and inserts its own programming, known as cadenas, or chains. Since 1999, the president has chalked up 1,877 hours of cadenas, subjecting listeners and viewers to the equivalent of 80 days of non-stop talk and programming deemed to be of importance to Venezuelans a great deal of which is clearly not a matter of broad national interest. Is acaso mentira el destino de los pueblos? The government discriminates against Global Vision by not granting it any paid advertising, while other stations that follow more faithfully the official line have multi-million dollar advertising contracts with the government. 
Furthermore, due to the recent spate of nationalizations, once a private firm is taken over by the state, we automatically lose its advertising. In order to really understand just how far the Venezuelan government will go to demonize the media, watch carefully the following clip of an interview which was carried by news outlets throughout the world. The version you are about to see, however, was doctored by the government. The voice you hear of our reporter interviewing Secretary of State Hillary Clinton is not his voice. The questions you hear him asking were, in fact, never asked. The interview is a montage. And it was shown repeatedly, as you see it right here on the state-controlled media. In West Democratic Organization, through Venezuela opposition, uh, the narco-traffickers and the uh, gangs and the other uh, elements like militias. Which advice would you give us to pay a cop and then get out of Chavez? Uh, I think there are a lot of ways of doing that, but it hasn't worked yet the way that many people had hoped. But I'm one who believes that uh, you should be very cautious about how you proceed because there are always unintended consequences. Under these repressive conditions, Global Vision staff and employees feel like they're on a countdown, wondering every day whether they'll have a job to go to tomorrow. You may ask yourself, how did we arrive to this? Venezuela's president, Hugo Chavez, makes his first public appearance in 1992 as a lieutenant colonel leading failed coup d'etat against President Carlos Andres Perez, elected freely for a four-year term by the Venezuelan people in 1989. Chavez was imprisoned but later pardoned by order of then-president Rafael Caldera. Six years later, he achieves executive power through popular vote. Chavez's lifelong experience in the armed forces, where insubordination is not tolerated, has defined his style of governance for the past 10 years. Yet he has already made it clear in public statements that he intends to remain in power forever. How does he achieve so much influence and power? Let's see it in the next video. At the peak of his popularity, with a majority in Congress, President Chavez was able to designate loyal followers to control the state's chief centers of power. That's why Venezuela has seen a vice president leave his office to become attorney general. The chief justice of the Supreme Court granted an ambassadorship. The Speaker of the Unicameral Congress becomes a member of Cabinet, and then Foreign Minister. Perhaps the most significant example of this practice of rewarding with ever greater power a public official who performs his duty according to the President's desires is the case of the Chairman of the National Elections Commission, who several months after presiding over a ballot initiative which, had it passed, would have removed the President from office, was rewarded with none other than the Vice Presidency. What, one might ask, did he do to deserve the president's confidence? The current ombudsman also has a very close relationship to the president. Just months before being sworn into office, she was an active vocal member of the president's political party and the official spokeswoman for his re-election campaign. 
a year before the bloody events of april two thousand and two the president had already designated the media as quote enemies of the revolution since then, we've fully documented the repeated acts of aggression towards reporters, the destruction of equipment and facilities belonging to the media, the measures taken to prevent the media from covering official events, and the systematic denial of access to official sources of information. We filed lawsuits on all these violations of the law, none of which have ever gone to court. All this takes place against the backdrop of injunctions which are never respected, such as the Inter-American Court of Human Rights decree, which by treaty law must be obeyed, ordering the Venezuelan government to investigate the facts and identify those responsible for breaking the law within a reasonable time. In Venezuela, the constitutionally enshrined right to private property is also under attack. NGOs and media outlets which produce television spots in defense of private property, a campaign which is perfectly consistent with the right to freedom of speech as defined by our Constitution, are being subjected to government harassment. More significantly, public policies are being implemented which completely contradict the will of the people, as expressed in a referendum two years ago, where the voters rejected the government's push to make Venezuela a socialist country with a de facto lifetime president. Or, as the recent case of Caracas Mayor Antonio Ledesma illustrates, the president is now unilaterally designating individuals to replace publicly elected officials in defiance of the will of the voters. Venezuelans are being discriminated in the workplace and elsewhere on the basis of their political beliefs, despite the fact that this is in clear violation of the Constitution. The Attorney General of a country which has been described in a World Bank report as being one of the most corrupt in the world has established as her highest priority the passage of legislation which criminalizes the activities of senior employees and directors of media outlets. Where's the rule of law in all of this? See for yourself how justice works in our country. The following scenes occurred recently during a press conference. <laughs> The woman asking the question is a reporter from one of the main newspapers. And the woman answering is the Chief Justice of Venezuela's Supreme Court. Albert Einstein once said that freedom of speech means that we can express ourselves without fear of being molested or persecuted for it. 
But as we have seen, that's not what's happening in Venezuela with independent media, especially with Globovision. It's a well-known fact that the government wants to shut down Globovision and intends to do so by opening administrative proceedings on baseless grounds, which will culminate in the government revoking our broadcast license. Freedom of speech in the terms established in the Inter-American Democratic Statutes is a fundamental part of democracy. That means that it is a condition necessary to the practice and the defense of other rights, such as the right to life, the right to freedom, and the right to private property. If Globovision were to be shut down, we want to alert the international community that this will constitute an arbitrary privation of the right to freedom of speech, not only, not only as a human right, but also as an essential element to democracy. Not only for the journalists, stockholders, directors and employees of Globovision, but also for the whole of Venezuelan society. We in the media are in the forefront of the struggle to guarantee that this right is protected, not only for the communicators, but also for the general public. For the Inter-American Human Rights Court, freedom of speech is a fundamental element on which a democratic society is founded on, indispensable to the formation of public opinion, a condition for the community to be well informed at the moment of deciding its options. Therefore, it is possible to declare that a society that is not well informed is not completely free. In the same terms, the European Human Rights Court has declared that freedom of speech is a fundamental condition for its progress and for the personal development of each individual, by which such liberty must not only be guaranteed in regard to the spreading of information or ideas that are received favorably or that are considered innocuous or different, but also in regard to those that may be offensive, disagreeable, or may bother the state or any part of the population. Such are the demands of pluralism, tolerance, and open spirit, without which a democratic society cannot exist. Despite the state's severe harassment against independent media in the streets, in the economy, against private property, and by judiciary means, Globovision will maintain its firm commitment to struggle for a well-informed society in freedom, in democracy, and with full respect for the Constitution and the law. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Carlos. It's my pleasure and honor to uh, introduce the next speaker, Rafael Alfonso, who is the president of CEDICE. CEDICE is the market liberal think tank of Venezuela, and it is also on the forefront of defending basic liberties uh, in Venezuela. Just uh, a few months ago in May, I mentioned that we were in uh, Caracas, and uh, one of the reasons that we chose to organize our event at that time was because CEDICE was actually organizing a very big conference uh, celebrating its 25th anniversary in which it had invited uh, big, uh, important names from Latin America, leading figures like Mario Vargas Llosa, the Peruvian novelist, Enrique Krause, the Mexican intellectual, Jorge Castañeda, the former foreign minister of Mexico, and so on, uh, in a conference that was clearly 
critical of the Chavez uh, regime and uh, which created great consternation for the for the regime. They organized protests outside the hotel, co- constant uh, 24-hour propaganda against what we were saying. At one point, Chavez personally uh, challenged us, being Mario Vargas Llosa and the uh, what he called the neoliberals to a debate, and that led to a, a several days of communicating with him through live TV and press conferences. Uh, he eventually backed out. It was a bad week for Hugo Chavez and his government because his true colors were shown as he stopped people at the airport for hours and uh, was basically uh, r- showing the kind of th- thuggery that he is accused of. Uh, of. So, Without further ado, let me uh, uh, introduce uh, Rafael Alfonso. He has also been uh, the president of several chambers of commerce, chambers of industry, the Chamber of Commerce in Venezuela, and he sits on the board of numerous important uh, businesses in uh, Venezuela. Welcome, Rafael. Well, first of all, I want to thank uh, Cato for the opportunity. Uh, For Venezuelans, this is a very important moment, and uh, we appreciate all the time that we have to explain a little bit what is going on in our country. Fifty minutes is not enough, but I will try to do my best. I also want to thank uh, Guillermo for the uh, opportunity, too, for the presentation. I think it was very clear, and it's very hard to, to show more than what is in, this, um, pres- in his presentation, but uh, I will try to explain you what is the socialismo del siglo XXI, the 21st century socialism that uh, Chavez uh, is all the time talking about. Any political program has five elements that are essential for understanding this political program. The economy, the state, the social structure, and the political structure, which give a vision, uh, give the orientation of this political program. The vision of this uh, socialism of the 21st century is communism. And uh, we want to clear this very strongly because there are many people who don't want to understand or to accept that, that we're going to a communist system. It's very hard for any Venezuelan to think that's true, and it's very hard for the people outside. It's even harder to believe that we can, we can end up like Cuba did. But uh, what he's using and why we, uh, we make this statement is that the theory that the regime is trying to implement is based on Marxism. And uh, what they're talking about is that the only value that is added value that is, uh, is going to be recognized, uh, recognized will be the value that is gotten through work, your salary, which give a plus value that that's the only thing that will be recognized as your personal uh, property. The capital and the raw materials, they are transfer values. They are values who cannot be accepted and they are not valid in the equation that, the, that they are working. Through this, obviously, they, are, they have uh, the elimination of these differential factors. They, they said everybody 
uh, are equal and there should be not any differential between people. And uh, all the goods and opportunities should be to the essential level. You should not have more than what you need to survive. And uh, the theory that the regime is trying is based on the supreme social happiness as the ideal purpose. Fights between the poor and the rich population all the time is the rich is the one who is creating the poor. The capitalism as a system of human abuse. Anybody who is a capitalist is abusing of the employees. We explode in the employees. The capitalism state and the benefits approach, that's not accepted. Uh, all we need is people who work for their own, and they, they should not have better capital on that. Globalization, empire, and neoliberalism are obviously the enemies that he has to fight with. The new man and the cultural revolution, he's talking about a new man, a new man that uh, doesn't want to have property, that uh, thinks that uh, he's uh, socially... Uh, attracted to be nice with everybody without having any intent to be better or to have a better way of life. That's not important. The only important is that, that he's a, a new man that has uh, um, the, the equal than everybody else. Uh, it's no distinction between people. And the old, the new, and the revolution, and the revolution is obviously the approach the saying all that is done in the past is bad. All we're creating in new is the new revolution. This new revolution is going to create the new man. In the case of the economy, what we are facing is an encirclement and threatening of the property uh, and the private initiatives, which are limited while the economy becomes state-owned. The Venezuelan productive system has... Uh, being faced with a discretional legislation, legislation uh, the Council of Workers, which I created parallel to your unions, the consumer uh, office that is protecting consumers, which is what it's doing is making your life very difficult, expropriations, exchange controls, price controls, and the IRS pressure. This has been implemented very strongly with one vision, to have the state uh, creating the social property instead of the private property. That's the way they call it, like the Cubans does. And uh, it's established at, uh, through the, this con the Workers' Council and the Comunas. The Comunas are the new groups that are formed in each community, uh, and they call it comunas, and uh, the idea is to have uh, uh, an order where these comunas become to a higher order of a bigger com system of comunas, substituting the governors and the uh, mayors, etc. The comunas are going to be the one who are going to be instrumented in there. The regime intervened, sorry for this, it's interline, intervened 165 businesses during the last four years. Since 1998, the reduction of industrial businesses has been by more than 40%. We used to have 12,300-plus 12, industries. We are right now with 7,800, something like that. The public employees went from 1.4 million in 1999 to more than 2.3 million today. That doesn't include the new expropriation or confiscations that the government has done in the last two weeks. Uh, 
There are more than 274,000 cooperatives that were formed. From there, only 74,000 remain in place. This is the list of the expropriation and the statutations, and some of them we call ex, uh, confiscations because they have not paid anything and they have not gone through the what the law established. The law says that the, if you're going to be expropriated, you should go to the assembly. The assembly should uh, approve that, establish the value, and then take your property. They take your property and then the evaluations and everything are supposed to come later on, which is in many of the cases are not. CanTV MobileNet is the uh, communication company. All the the telephone companies uh, in, that used to be owned by CanTV, which is the uh, the main elect, uh, telephone company, is uh, now by the, owned by the government. MobileNet is the uh, mobile of this company. All the electricity companies that were private, now they are state-owned, the Electricity de Caracas and all the other electrical companies. Uh, they also have purchased some uh, businesses. Uh, Lácteo Los Andes, Aceite Diana, the Central de Almacenamiento en Frío, which is the cold storage, all of them has been purchased uh, the government, uh, talking to the owners and telling nicely, I want your business. I'm going to buy it, so you better behave, or I take it by the IRS or some other way. The Globision was expropriated in 2003 with a lot of equipment, and uh, without any reason, also the frequencies. Well, uh, RCTV, which is the Radio Caracas Television, the, all the uh, cement companies, Cemex, Lafarge, and Holcim, all of them were nationalized. Sidor, which is the um, steel, ma steel production, and all the, 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 the companies who transform aluminum has been uh, taken from the government. The ones that have also from the iron, like Texin, uh, all of them have been taken. Banco de Venezuela, which is, was the biggest bank, a private bank from the Grupo Santander, 50% uh, of the mixed companies in the uh, petrochemical uh, industry is going uh, also to the government. The Costa Oriental del Lago has more than 50 companies, which used to be a very important activity for service, the oil business. And uh, now all of these uh, companies have been taken, confiscated, they have not paid anything yet. And uh, actually, the problem is very big because the cities, you know, where all these uh, companies used to work there is completely like a cemetery. More than 60% of their business has been lost. There's no work in there, and uh, it seems like uh, nobody cares about them. Now they're taking all the storage and the ports uh, by the, the last two weeks. And uh, as uh, Carlos said, the 250 stations. There are more than two and a half million hectares they were taken. This is some of the most important uh, farms uh, that are in there. Uh, this is to show you what this encyclement is. All these different colors and different squares in there are um, things that affect a production. And this is the amount that was in 2005. In order to see what is the development, in, if we put 2008 like this, we could not put it in one in one place. So we did it. Uh, we show you this. This is the institutional conditions. All these are laws that affect uh, production. This is in the labor. 
This is in the uh, cost of production. This is in uh, financing, etc. I just want to go fast. This is the new insertion of the uh, integration. Now our big partners are Iran, Belarus, uh, China, and Korea. And these are the, the new players that, that we're going to deal in the external uh, integration process. And uh, the collectivation, uh, collectivism over individual effort, this is the main issue of uh, this, um, the, the, uh, this vision, which is the popular power gives participation, participation gives conscience, and to have the conscience you need a cultural control, and this cultural control all these four things together give a minimum satisfaction, solidarity, and participation, which is the new man that I was uh, talking before. And uh, what we have is that all the powers, that independent powers that the government has, I'm sorry for putting it in Spanish, but all I wanted to show in there, there are five powers that are independent, they're supposed to be completely independent. They are used by the uh, central government. And this is the new scheme that is uh, used. The president has a commission for, for central planification. There are the different uh, ministerials and the authorities. And uh, the new militia, militia is the new army that is uh, at the disposition of the president. It's not anything with the other uh, military. It's, uh, it's his uh, military is going to arm there too, and uh, then you have the socialist uh, businesses, the public services, the communes, and then in the third level comes the governors and the mayors that were elected by the popular. In other words, the governors and the mayors have to go through this new system where they will have a new chief uh, that is uh, coordinated by the government. The conflict is the other uh, issue that is used, uh, friends and enemies. If you are my friend, you are with me. If you are not with me, you are my enemy. And if you are my enemy, I have to destroy you, and you have to really uh, disappear. All this is doing by disqualification. This is a political discrimination. And then this produces hate, and this hate is, uh, comes with the reaction of the people who adverse uh, this, this system. So all this is doing uh, big fights, big uh, uh, problems through the pressure that the, 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 all the uh, beneficiaries, the users of the money, rehabilitations, uh, policies, policies, as we have seen, and uh, the, the control by the rep. Rep is the, uh, the list of people who can vote. Venezuela has 28 uh, million people, and uh, we have 17 people in the rep. Besides that, uh, less than 14, less than 18 years old, we have 14 million people. So if you take 28 minus 14, it should be 14. We don't understand why it's 17 to 18 million people who vote. So there, a little fat in there of 4 million people. Uh, the facts are political discrimination. The Tascon list is a, is a list where the, if you are in there, you cannot take any government position. Even to get passport, they give you problems. You were in this list. Uh, it has a parallel, democ uh, parallel diplomacy. What we have seen in Honduras is very clear. I don't have to explain you very much if you have seen what Chavez is doing in there. And the new alliances, uh, which really worry us, is the Iran, Belarusia, and uh, Russia. This, this is are the new partners that we uh, don't agree and we don't understand. So uh, the, the, uh, what we're showing here is that all this vision what is looking for is the communism. There are the, the four, we call it the five C's, the, 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 the encyclement, the centralization, the collectivation, and the conflict give you the communism. And uh, this produces what? 
people to be fired, uh, uh, people who lose everything they have, expropriations, the, the people who they're, wanting, they're, they're telling things that, that you are not doing, but they put it to you. They pressure you, violence, prison, everything that, that creates fear. At the end, miedo is fear. And this is what the government wants. The government wants that everybody will be uh, in, with fear. And, uh, well, the, the model here, if all the things come to, to, to be successful, we have communism. And if it creates uh, uh, all the problems that they think, bureaucracy, people more poor, repression, and uh, lack of food, well, that will provoke liberty. And that's why we in Sedice are working very hard on freedom. Freedom is our main reason. We have created a uh, new campaign, a campaign for uh, protecting the, the, the principle of the property rights. Uh, Venezuelan is, have been going through a system where they want to substitute the private property for the social property. And uh, we did a campaign that is, uh, did one of the uh, uh, cases that, that they put to Globovision because we, they published what we gave Globovision to put in the air. And uh, we put a new one, which was also banned. And uh, I wanted to show it to you. Uh, this is the, the latest uh, of our campaign. I don't know if uh, is that is ready. Show the video, please. Okay, thank you. Thanks very much. Some of you may not have been able to see the subtitles, but basically it, it's a, a series of, of ads or videos that Sedice has been putting on the air in Venezuela in defense of private property. And this was the latest one that has also gotten them into trouble with the government, uh, which is now investigating Sedice. And uh, I forgot to mention that uh, Sedice is also very much under the crossfire of the, uh, of the government uh, right now. And uh, um, defending its its rights to free expression. The videos that they have put together have been very effective and, as it turns out, very popular, and that's one of the reasons for the strong reaction of the government. Uh, you can see those on the webpage of, of Sedice. Uh, let me introduce our next speaker who will provide very brief comments, and then we can go to, to questions from, from the audience. He's uh, Robert Rivard, who is the director of the Committee on Freedom of the Press from the Inter-American Press Association, a group of of uh, journalists uh, from around the hemisphere who are dedicated to uphold the principles of, of, of the free press and the highest standards of journalism. He is also the editor and the executive vice president of the San Antonio uh, Express News. He has worked in five different Texas newspapers over his 27-year career, has also been a, a foreign correspondent in Central America, and has been a senior editor at Newsweek uh, magazine in New York, in, 
in the year 2000. He was chosen by editor and publisher magazine as the first annual editor of the year. He has covered civil wars in the 1980s in El Salvador, Nicaragua, and Guatemala. Uh, he has also received the prestigious uh, journalism award of the, from the Society of Professional Journalists, uh, the Distinguished Service uh, Award for Foreign Correspondents. And he was singled out especially for his coverage of, of uh, death squads in El Salvador during the 1980s. He is also the author of a book called Trail of Feathers, which was published in 2005 about the 1998 murder of the Mexico City Bureau Chief Philip True in the Sierra Madre. Please help me welcome Mr. Rivard. Thank you, Ian, and thank you to all your colleagues at the um, Cato Institute and to my colleagues from Venezuela. It's an honor to be here today. It's a long way from San Antonio for a midday meeting, but um, it's my privilege to be here both as a newspaper editor in solidarity with my um, colleagues in the Americas and also as someone who, even though I'm getting older, still think of myself as a street reporter um, who spent a lot of time in Latin America and um, has experienced too many scenes like you saw there on the videos today of uh, what is known down there as La Turba, the mobs, uh, the government mobs that are that are sent out to uh, intimidate and and create a climate of violence, which makes it so hard for people to operate in. I see some old-fashioned uh, notebooks and pens out. Anybody on Twitter here? Uh, if you think I was checking my email while they were talking, I wasn't. I was sending out tweets. I'd love for you to retweet what I've sent out and spread the word about what we're doing today. I'm Editor Rivard, if, uh, if you look for me. Um, social media is an increasingly powerful tool for everyone to report and re-report what's going on. And people down in Caracas can read your tweets. So I hope that uh, you'll spread the message um, beyond um, whatever groups you're representing or wherever you're, whatever offices or, or classes you're going back to in Washington today. Time, unfortunately, is running out uh, for free press practitioners in the hemisphere and nowhere more so than in Venezuela. No media outlet in the Americas is under more pressure right now or greater threat than Globovision, uh, which is truly the last independent uh, broadcast station in Caracas and in the, in the country and the region uh, that has not backed down in any way from the uh, intimidation of President Chavez and his government. And I'm finding it increasingly difficult to call it the government and not the regime. Uh, I'm pleased to be here with Carlos uh, Zuloaga, who is the Globovision's vice president, but it's nothing less than tragic that his father and the CEO of Globovision, uh, Guillermo, is not with us today uh, because the Chavez government, as you heard on the video, refused to uh, allow him to travel. Uh, we need to say nothing more about a regime anywhere than to say it's afraid to let its own citizens uh, come and go freely. There is, in fact, an insidious virus. It's not just in Venezuela that's spreading throughout the southern reaches of the hemisphere. It's not a public health threat. I'm not talking about the swine flu. I'm talking about the public threat to the health of the region's fragile democracies and to the civil rights of many citizens that are now imperiled. Um, nowhere is the threat more evident than in the intensifying government attacks against a free and independent press and broadcast media in Venezuela 
and among President Chavez's close allies and dependents who hold presidential power in neighboring Ecuador, Bolivia, and in Central America in Nicaragua. That's why we're here today. There are, if you are tuned in, nearly daily reports of threats, repression, violence, intimidation, and legal maneuvering, as you saw today, to silence journalists and outlets in the Americas and wrest control of media properties or their licenses from their rightful owners. These systematic and coordinated campaigns in the Chavez bloc are tactics in a larger strategic undertaking by these autocratic heads of state to marginalize political opposition and to perpetuate their own hold on power. To accomplish these goals, Presidents Chavez, Correa in Ecuador, Morales in Bolivia, and Ortega in Nicaragua, they're moving to limit freedom of expression throughout society. A robust press and independent professional media are giving way piece by piece, publication by publication, broadcast license by broadcast license, to state-controlled media networks that disseminate propaganda disguised as news. Yet there is still great resistance to this repression in all of these countries, with newspapers, television, and radio broadcasters, and more and more online news sources all struggling to carry out their mission. It's our job to support them and to sustain them, and to see that they survive those now holding power who seek to silence them. Chavez, Correa, Morales, and Ortega all came to power through democratic elections. But all four leaders since being elected have moved step by step to impose so-called constitutional reforms, turn independent legislative bodies into rubber stamps, and populate the judiciary with compliant or intimidated judges who authenticate their takeovers of democratic institutions and, and traditions. As a journalist who's been living and working in the Americas for nearly 30 years, I was appalled, as many of you were, by recent events in Honduras. A duly elected head of state is hauled out of bed in his pajamas in the middle of the night and forced at gunpoint to board a flight out of the country. Well, that's as good a definition as a coup as I've ever heard. And while the coup was unjustified in all respects, what is lost to many is that President Zelaya was trying to manipulate events in Honduras to allow himself to remain in power beyond his constitutional term. Looking south, Hondurans acted out of fear that the Chavez bloc was about to gain another member in Central America. They decided, in my view, on the course of an undemocratic ousting of the president as the least of two evils. And that story continues to play out today. This story of Latin American strongmen, or caudillos, as they were recently branded in an excellent piece in the Wall Street Journal, which I suggest you go online and read if you missed it, is a story that deserves a much wider and concerned audience in the United States and in the U.S. media. Yet even as societies remain complacent about the possibilities of a flu epidemic until that epidemic is upon us and preventive programs are too little and too late, so too this growing epidemic of repression in the Americas is reported only incidentally. There are, unfortunately, far fewer U.S. journalists on the ground south of our borders to witness the day's events and history unfolding before our eyes. When I lived and worked in Central and South America in the 1980s, a time of revolution, civil war, despotic military regimes and juntas, 
and human rights violations on such a massive scale, few Americans could grasp that truth back here. The possibility then of a hemisphere dominated by civilian democracies was hard to imagine. But one by one, unelected military regimes gave way to elected civilian governments throughout the hemisphere. A long dormant free press and media slowly relearned the craft and privilege of covering open governments and societies. Democracy was imperfect at best, as it is everywhere, but especially where it was so young and tenuous. But the emergence of Latin America from a very dark era was undeniable. Now the pendulum swings back in the direction of darkness and silence, and I do not exaggerate. What can we do? Well, we can use the power of our voices, the power of the written word, the broadcast word, to resist at every turn. History teaches us that some of the most powerful regimes have imploded from within. Sometimes they're done in by international pressure, by starting wars they can't finish, by isolation, sometimes from within by their own military, sometimes by people power, sometimes because they run out of the money necessary to finance popular support. Journalists watching the Chavez bloc wonder if, they will, if these strong men will overplay their own hands as they move to consolidate power and stifle democracy. While we watch and wait, we have to make the price for attacking the global visions of the hemisphere as costly as possible. I hope all of you and the organizations you represent will join myself and the Inter-American Press Association in doing just that every day going forward. Thank you for having me here today and allowing me to speak freely. Thanks very much. We now have time for questions. If you have a question, please raise your hand and wait for the microphone and then identify yourself and uh, your affiliation. And I'll take the first question. Was there a question up here? There's a question right there. Uh, Español o inglés? English, please. Um, hi, my name is Mario Flores. I'm law student, uh, Chilean as well. And a couple of weeks I attended a presentation by um, Antonio de Desma, the mayor of Caracas, and a couple of the governors that um, came to meet with the secretary general um, of the OAS. And uh, um, I got the feeling that um, they were very nervous about the freedoms that you have expressed concern about today as well. And they didn't feel that the Venezuelan government, no, that the Venezuelan people could actually um, stand up to uh, Chavez on their own. So I'm wondering if that's your feeling as well, if you need uh, uh, international help. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Well, we have to start by looking closely at the case of, of Ledesma, the mayor of Caracas. He was, com he was elected by electoral vote, by more than 100,000 votes. And in months, he was completely stripped of all the authority of Caracas. He can't even control the budget anymore because Chavez pointed a new, um, a new authority on top of him. So we have to look close at that. I think we also need to... Mm, to empower more the political parties. 
One thing Chavez did when he got into power in 1998 is that he completely destroyed the political parties and the party system, more a dual party system that we had in, in, in Venezuela. So I think we still need to get them stronger. I think they need to work really hard to really get powers in, and get more, more influence in, within the country. I still think that the problem that we're facing in Venezuela, we need to solve them us in Venezuela. But I think that it is important for all of you to get the right and the, the two sides of the story and for you to be clear and the real situation that we're living in Venezuela. I don't know if that answers your question or I don't know if you want to add something. Well, I will add that uh, the answer is yes, Venezuelans are going to solve their problems themselves. Well, I, I don't believe that uh, everything is lost and the Venezuelans are already in a situation where they won't react. The opposite. Fear brings action. And uh, I think uh, at the end of this pressure that we're receiving, especially in the last three months, and the new laws that they want to be implemented by the government, they're going to have a big reaction of people who believe in democracy as we do. We are not going to accept uh, the regime that will take us to Cuba. We're going to fight for that. And if we have to fight harder, we're going to do it. And there's a lot of Venezuelans who today maybe they're in fear. Maybe they're defending their money because your packet and your fear are the best two allies of any uh, regime. But uh, some days those two variables, they change. And uh, I'm pretty sure the Venezuelans are not hoping any external help. The international, obviously, will do a lot of good to us if it's used in the right way, not accepting things that they should not accept. Because, obviously, the money that our government has through oil has uh, silenced a lot of international countries that should be talking today, and they are not doing it because it will be too costly in their countries as a benefit of the interchange. So... Uh, Venezuelans, we are very clear where we are, and uh, believe me, there are a lot of young people and a lot of Venezuelans who are fighting, and they are going to save our country, and we are going to come back to democracy pretty soon. Thank you. We'll take a question in front, please. Thank you. My name is Sonia Schott. I am an independent journalist. Uh, two years ago, or almost two years ago, RCTV Channel 2 was shut down by the Chavez administration. What should be different? What could be different this time with Global Vision? What do you expect should happen this time? Thank you. I think one, one mistake that Chavez did with the RCTV shutting down is that he announced it on December 2007, that RCTV was going to be shut down in May. He gave everybody five months and the people of Venezuela to realize what was coming. What we're seeing now with the case of Globovision is that Chavez wants to look for the way to diminish that political cost that caused him to close RCTV. And we see it now that we have five administrative proceedings opened by Conatel, 
the, inter the telecommunications commissions, and the government hasn't closed any one of them. But now we see that they're starting an investigation on the penal side, on the courts, and that way it will pass it to the, to the courts, to the Supreme Court, to make that decision. And I believe that they want to regulate the cable first, since we're seeing that we're, they're starting a new law to regulate cable and satellite television. Because if we, they shut us off the air of free airwaves, we can still transmit in cable and satellite, but we won't have to be regulated by the low resorte or the, or the law that regulates content. So I think Chavez made the decision to close Globovision already. I say that with, with it's my personal opinion. I think it's going to dare to close it. It's just looking for a way to the business that political cost. Take a question right here in, in front again, please. Yes, my name is Per Kurovsky from uh, I have an NGO in Venezuela called Petropolitan. Any country who receives that type of income, where the government receives that type of income directly, not going through the taxpayers' pockets, is a de facto the communism. Even the states would be if they would be receiving the government here that income from the oil. That has to be used. How much of the long-term sustainable solution to Venezuela and other petro-autocratic countries go through the removal of this centralized control over the oil revenues? Is it possible to get a solution without removing the main obstacle? Well, in the last 10 years, Chavez has received more than 950,000 million, 950 yeah. billion. One trillion, yeah. One million million. One billion. 950 billion dollars for oil incomes. That has helped him not, all, not only control and get his control in Venezuela, but also control in the region. We see that he spreads his influence, his socialism, century 21 socialism, through those petrodollars. We, see, we have seen now examples in Ecuador. President Correa now is introducing in Congress a law to regulate media, and it's the exact same law that Chavez introduced in 2003 in, in Venezuela. To answer your question directly, I believe, as, as Mr. Alfonso said, that, of course, all that income it's helping Chavez now. It's helping um, him to be sustained in power. It gives him influence. And I think at the same time, with all the, uh, the commitments that, he's, that he has gathered in the, in the region, at the same time, it's backlashing to him. And sooner or later, I think the economical situation in Venezuela is going to really hit because as the oil price is going down, those commitments are still the same, and it's getting harder for Chavez to meet those commitments. So I believe that it's, it's funny as, as we, we completely depend on the oil industry, but we can say that the oil industry is also supporting Chavez and destroying what Venezuela is right now. Uh, I will add that uh, I agree with you. I think the only way that the Venezuela someday will have 
the opportunity to get progress and to really develop is if the oil business is transferred to the real owner, which is the citizens, not the government. We should pay our taxes from the income in there. But uh, since the government has the, the, the oil, plus all the other things that I mentioned, which is also a guarantee for... Uh, doing the things wrong. I think uh, it's no country in the world that has been successful having control of everything, and uh, that is going to be the case of Venezuela. But I hope that after this headache and after this uh, system that we're living, may, uh, we will have some young people, because I think it's a new generation who has to come to really check the country and put the liberal system in Venezuela, which is the big lack that we have for many, many years. Uh, we have been very opposite, not only to Chavez, but the other governments that came before, and I think all of them did the same mistake. Uh, the nationalization of the oil business was a ruin for Venezuela, and uh, someday that has going to be uh, study very deeply and shown that, that that's the real truth. So I hope someday will come the the synthesis of giving the people their stocks and uh, Venezuela and be uh, a, a country who can progress and can develop. Thank you. We have time for just one or two more questions. We'll take one here and then we'll we'll take another one. <clears throat> Uh, hi, uh, Arturo Brillenburg, Farmington Asset Management. Um, uh, there is an, uh, the Venezuelan economy is increasingly going into a chaotic situation. Uh, Chavez has done what he can to destroy the private sector and destroy the productive capacity. What I wanted, if you could comment as, uh, as insiders to what's going on in Venezuela, about his ability to control politically uh, his uh, he, he, the, the government because he's he's obviously he he's not going to be able to control the economy, but will he is he strengthening or weakening himself politically in his in his political process? I, I will say he's losing ground. He's uh, really very uh, uh, going down the uh, the new measures that we are doing with the people. People won't want to lose the property. Eighty two percent of the people who. We talk about uh, the importance of property. They, they don't. They don't want uh, the government to take the properties. People in Venezuela don't want to be in a communist regime. Uh, and uh, I think uh, the, the big problem that we have is not the popularity that Chavez has. It's the power that he has in order to maintain the system. It's not even uh, the distribution of forces to the opposition to to do the the work. The all the powers in the hand of the government as a measure to intimidate and to give fear. And uh, obviously, that's an advantage that he has, which is he controls 85% of the radioelectric uh, in, in Venezuela. So how can you compete with him, a guy who has uh, 80 days in, uh, in the cadenas only, plus the 10 minutes per channel per day, plus all the the interventions that he has in their programs. I mean, it's, it's very tough, and uh, and I will say uh, uh, it's not getting to the people. People uh, are going to lose ground, too, because he doesn't have the money that he used to have. Not only the oil business, is the price is going down, but also the, the oil business itself is not in very good shape. 
We are importing gasoline in Venezuela, which is not sad uh, as it is. The problem is the information is not coming out. We don't get information in our country the way we should. So if we will go and see exactly what is happening in the old business, which is selling food now, which is importing a lot of things and paying all the social things for the money of the oil business that should be invested in order to have new uh, wells and, and everything, uh, he's going to pay for that. I mean, he's, he won't have enough money to maintain the the uh, the gift that he's giving to the people every day. Two and a half million employees for a country of 28 million people. Who can maintain that? How can you solve the problem that this represents uh, to the country? I mean, this is a very difficult task. And uh, uh, I think he's going to face a very unpopular thing, which is, is materialized or not in an election. We don't know. We really don't know. So far, we have not been successful on that. But I can assure you that we have not lost one election since 2003 in the real terms. We'll take uh, one more question uh, in the back. Right there, please. Thank you. I'm Allegra Hewell with the um, Atlas Economic Research Foundation. I was fortunate enough to be at the events in May and um, actually wanted to ask you about the magnitude of that conference, which in part could be attributed to the international presence that was there, but also the media attention that it received. Um, I was curious, though, what happened when we all left and when the cameras were turned off? Were Venezuelans still talking about um, these rule of law issues and uh, private property or... Did old habits just kind of kick in and people quickly forget uh, the intensity of those few days? Uh, thank you. Uh, obviously, they have not made our lives very easy, and uh, but uh, we have done. We are they're not going to quiet us. And uh, there were 168 international uh, press media in there, thanks to the government promotion that did to us since they took uh, Alvaro Vargas Llosa. They were our best. Uh, publicity that we ever get uh, all the the people the the speakers were wonderful i think one of the things that for venezuelan was a, a something unbelievable was to hear all the speeches that were there and people felt that this is a new sensation of freedom and uh, that they wanted to hear because it's very hard to live in a country where everything comes the way it's coming right now it's very hard uh, anybody has the the problem of security. We not we didn't talk about it, but in Venezuela, we are facing a very 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 bad situation. My son was uh, assaulted uh, last Friday, and they took his car and put a gun in his head, and uh, that's the second time it happens to him. And like that, everybody's family. Uh, how can you live in a country where your people cannot go out, and uh, there are a, a hundred people who dies every week? that has been assessed. I mean, it's a very, very difficult, but uh, we're going to overcome. Believe me, we, we're a strong fighter. We Venezuelans, uh, we love our country, and nobody's going to take our country because he wants to take our country. This is too beautiful to leave it to one person. Thank you. Adding on what Mr. Alfonso said, I think the way Chavez reacted to an event like the ones that he said did, it shows that his government doesn't tolerate any type of criticism. Anything that, he's, that they see as a threat, anything that is an opinion, 
that is opponent to to his beliefs, he reacts that way. I'm not I'm not I'm not glad that the guests had to live what they live and what they went through in Venezuela. But I think that helps it and helped us for them to really try to get those experiences out in the international community and for everybody to see what we're, what's really going on in Venezuela. Thank you, Carlos. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. We've unfortunately run out of time. I want to thank especially Globovision Television and our guests from Venezuela and also Mr. Rivard. Thank you so much.